All right, this is Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco at 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, it's great to be back. I'm so happy to be back in the saddle here. We got a lot to talk about today. Lots of news domestically and internationally. You're right. Uh, welcome back, even though this is not a good time to be back. Not at all. Uh, just as you all know, has been away for the past two weeks, traveling overseas. And we were going to talk about it. We'll talk about it at some point. But we have bigger news to talk about. But we have bigger news. More and, tragic and, news. And tragic news and sad news that this is one, if not uh, the only, you know, country in the world where we have this many numbers of shootings like at this. schools. No, there's no other place in the world, Jamal. Let's, let's be very clear about this. There is no place in the world where individual lone gunmen can walk and have walked into a school and gunned down and murdered with mass casualties, children in schools anywhere in the world uh, with as great a number as the United States. In fact, this is the 18th time since January 1st, 2018, right. that there has been a mass shooting in a school in the United States. So what kind of country is it that we live in where an individual can obtain a weapon of mass destruction, walk into a school, and murder innocents at this, at this rate and at this clip. And, it's and unbelievable. To, and to add, this individual, he is 19 years of age. And we know right here in San Francisco right. and, and in many states, at, at 19, you cannot even buy cigarettes. <laughs> you cannot, for sure we know you cannot buy liquor. You have to be 21. That's right. Yet... You can walk to a gun shop and not only buy a gun, but a semi-automatic weapon. An AR-15. An AR-15. Right. And commit mass murder. Right. You can buy a weapon of mass destruction in the United States, but not be old enough to drink, not be old enough to buy cigarettes, and not be old enough to um, do many things. Yet, a 19-year-old with a known admitted psychiatric history, with a known admitted history of making threats, with a known admitted history of posting things on social media saying that he wanted to be known as a school shooter, uh, posting images of his guns on his bed and saying, you know, this is my arsenal. I mean, the warning signs, Jamal, were screaming, and, and to add insult to injury, even the FBI have, have, were notified about this yeah, guy. Yeah, he, he, he commented on, on YouTube, and someone reported him to the FBI. And they investigated, and the FBI came back and said there was nothing they can do. So, and I, I just want to add to it that we live in a society where the president of the United States, our current president, signed into law a law that made it easier for mentally ill people, people with severe mental illness, to buy weapons, to buy guns. So we have to ask ourselves, what kind of community, what kind of world do we want to live in in this country, number one? And then number two, who do we hold accountable for this mass carnage, for these mass murders? Who do we hold accountable? Do we hold accountable someone like Marco Rubio, who is the senator from Florida, who says, my thoughts and prayers are with you, but we can't talk about solutions or gun control. Too early. It's too early, which well, is the most insulting I thing. I want to go back to Marco Rubio uh, later on. Okay. But first, I, wanna, I want you to comment on the president of the United States, and usually in these, you know, these times when you need a leader. Yeah. Uh, we and, call them the consoler-in-chief. Uh, the consoler-in-chief. He wasn't able to do that. And, he can't do it. And he came and he talked. You know, there was nothing wrong in what he said, except, and, and we see this time and time again with Trump, with Republicans and others, he did not say a single word about gun control, 
He didn't talk about the type of gun. He talked about that this individual, you know, he talked about the mental illness. He well, talked about the grief. But my question, why he didn't touch well, the NRA, for example, who you can name to be responsible for the promotion or, and the sale of guns across the United States. Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent point, Jamal. And we're facing this reality in, in our government, in our system of government, where we have corporate, corporate entities, because that's what they are, looking after their interests, like the NRA and APAC, where they have gotten uh, politicians to, you know, to sell their souls Politicians, you know, because of the power of the NRA and APAC, have sold their souls. They don't think about what's the best interest of the citizens of the United States. In this case, you have politicians like Marco Rubio, like most Republicans and even many Democrats for that matter, who are on the take, who are on the dole, who are being bought by the NRA and APAC because— Do you they, know how much how much the NRA donated to the Trump campaign? Yeah, about $11 million, which is truly outrageous. Yeah, $11 million. Every single senator, every single congressman, they've received money from the NRA. Of course, uh, the Republicans received more, but there is a whole list showing— uh, right. How much each right. one of them received but look, per Jamal, year, and not a single one dares to it's criticize too them. It's too early. It's too early. It's too early. Or they come up We're with grieving. Uh, no, or they come up with this silly statement. They always say, "Guns don't kill. Guns People do, kill." No, guns do kill, Jamal. And we live in a country where you can be on the terrorist watch list. You can be deemed a terrorist in this country. You can be on the terrorist watch list in the United States and still buy a gun because of the NRA. You can have a severe mental illness in the United States and buy an AR-15 because of the law that Donald Trump signed and passed at the behest of the uh, Republican-dominated you know, Congress. You know, you know the answer, but I just want to also comment on the answer of some of these—I don't want to use the word, but whatever—superlative— they are talking now about, you know, some of them, like the need to have more guns, more securities. More guns. Transferring schools into a uh, military zone. Exactly. And that's their answer. Their answer is not preventing children and adults from buying guns. No, it's ridiculous. But their answer is to bring more armed guns. guards into school, right. searching everyone, right. rather than saying the word, we got to have gun control in this country. We have to make sure that the guns don't fall in the wrong hands. Uh, more severe, uh, you know, but let's security just checks. But let's just talk about common sense. They, that, have, they have none. Yeah, but let, let's just... Talk about the most basic, basic, basic things about gun control or smart gun control or safe gun laws. We live in a country, Jamal, where every time you buy a gun, you, there's no background check. Nice. I mean, if you buy a gun from a gun dealer, yeah, if it's a pistol— if it's a certain kind of weapon, yeah, there's background checks and there's state-by-state state differences. not at gun shows. Exactly. At gun shows, you still have the gun show loophole where people can buy and sell guns, massive amounts of ammunition, AR-15s, semi-automatic weapons, bump stops that turn semi-automatic weapons into functionally automatic weapons without any background checks, Jamal. So the fact that we live in a society where we can't even pass a silly, ridiculous, basic, common-sense law that anyone who buys a weapon must go through a background check, we can't even get that passed, tells you how powerful and how soulless these politicians are in the pocket of the NRA. It's, it, you know, and I, I do feel like, okay, the NRA, I'm not going to blame the NRA because we have a system where if you want to be a lobby group, you can do whatever you want. I mean, that's what lobby groups do. I hold Republicans, Democrats, the Congress, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, the the inability of these cowards, and it's truly cowardice. They they are they are cowards that they cannot find the, you know, the 
the the strength to do just common sense things. They don't have the soul. Yeah, the soul. They've lost their soul for the doll. For the doll. That's 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 you know, and 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 the issue is not just the NRA, but this whole system of lobbyists. In, lobbyists. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it. You know, we can talk about the NRA, but we let's can talk, talk about APAC. Let's talk about APAC, Jamal. And for for the handful of dollars, or not more than a handful of dollars. These senators, these congressmen and congresswomen are willing to sell their souls and they're willing to sell this country, the interests of the American exactly citizen. Right. Down the be- river. Down the river. Right. And, Absolutely. And this, this, it's, it's always against the interests of the United States, be it giving billions of dollars to an apartheid state like Israel or allowing children to buy guns to shoot children to shoot people i think that's a point beyond well taken jamal because i i want to do a deeper dive on this because i think you know the relationship between the nra and apac is a very good one that we will explore but before we go down that i mean i'm still so upset about seeing the faces of children having to live in terror in this country and not feeling safe in their schools. I'm still truly traumatized and upset about what happened in Newtown when you had, you know, those 20 children between the ages of six and seven gunned down and murdered by this individual who, again, had access to automatic weapons, an AR-15, which is the gun of choice for mass murders. And after that, we heard the same ridiculous rhetoric. Our, our thoughts and prayers are with you, our condolences. It's too, it's too soon to talk about what to do. We hear that after New, Newtown. We heard, it, we heard it after Dylan Roof went into an African-American church and gunned down parishioners. And now we're hearing it again at the same time. And, and by the way, Jamal, it's not rocket science. If you look at the profile of each one of these mass murders, it's, it's basically the same. Preoccupation with guns, behavioral problems, posting on social media. Uh, I mean, and the fact that the FBI was contacted and they did nothing is— Well, what they said is they were contacted because of a post the gunman left on YouTube, and they said they looked into it, but they, they were not able to locate— the person, even though he posted with his name, not even a pseudonym or whatever. No, he posted his he, own name. He posted his own name and the answer. And this is something they have to look into. They have to reinvestigate Yeah, this. they will. You know, when you can Google someone's name and find their address these days. Jamal. The FBI said, oh, uh, it's, we it's, looked it's, into this. It's a complete and fabrication. It's, it's basically. It's a complete the, fabrication. Because they the FBI, failed. The FBI knows where you live. The unless he's use, using sophisticated encryption. No, no, he used his own name. That's what I mean, Jamal. It's like completely ridiculous for the FBI, who could spy and know where you are everywhere in the world. This guy signs his own name, does not use a sophisticated computer encryption or anonymizing, you know, system. He basically says, "I want to hurt people. I want to be known as a school shooter." He left a post, Jamal where he said he wanted to be known as a school shooter. And and the FBI says we couldn't locate him. I mean, you had students, friends of his at the school who who basically went to officials, you know, school officials who said, this guy is kind of nuts and we're, we're afraid of him. That's why he got expelled, Jamal. Yet he was able to purchase an AR-15 with clips, with magazines, right? that he was able to load and reload and murder 17 people and injure 12 others. It's, it's an atrocity, man. I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing, you know, obviously Donald Trump signing a law that would allow mentally ill people to be able to purchase guns. But Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, all of them need to be held responsible for creating this condition in the United States where 18 school murders have already happened in the United States since the beginning of the year. Well, here is the issue. I mean, we know we have a gun epidemic. I don't know how many, guns how, people. how many people have to die before these politicians realize this. But, and you're the expert on this in this field, this phenomena 
that only happens in the United States. I know we have violence all over, but here, this shooting at schools. Well, I think it's two things. By students. No, I think it's I mean, this student happen, happens to be 19, so technically he's an adult, but in many cases, well, you have just sure. minors uh, getting hold of a gun and taking it on other students, their classmates, uh, their teachers. Well, I think it's three what's, things. What's the psyche behind this? Yeah, I, I think it's three things. I mean, the bogus let – me, let me just debunk something. The bogus NRA claim or the bogus uh, politician claim that this is just mental illness can be completely debunked because there's no more – there's no more excessive or additional mental illness in terms of raw numbers in the United States than, than any other country. But this country has a particular attitude toward mental illness, denying people treatment, the problems with insurance. It's not as if Canada has less mental illness than the United States, yet you never see this kind of, you rarely, if ever, see this kind of mass murder in schools happen in Canada. Why? Because they have a health care system that actually, you know, universal health care system with mental health benefits. Uh, it's illegal to have guns. You know, you can't buy guns in Canada the same way you can in the United States. So I think it's two things. It's the inability to provide mental health services in a comprehensive way, number one. And it's clearly the accessibility. It's the combination of how easy it is to get guns. And then the third point, Jamal, is that because of social media, people who have a lot of emotional or psychiatric problems, they tend to imitate what they see. So mm -hmm. we, we, when these mass murders happen, it gets a lot of play on social media. People see this, you know, and they want to be famous. They want to be seen in that way. And social media clearly pay, plays a big role in this. So I think it's those three things. Don't believe the hype when they tell you that it's mental illness that's causing this problem. It's not. It's the accessibility and ease with which people can buy automatic weapons, magazines that have more than 30 rounds, and the ease with which you can buy it without a background check. Well, something definitely has to change. What's going to change? A, a What's well, going to change? How well, are we going to change? Well, that's you, the thing. You kill I mean, six- and seven-year-olds. You kill you, – you, you, you destroy the lives of so many people, and all you can hear from these soulless politicians is our thoughts and prayers are with you. Well, that's the thing. Something has to change in Washington, D.C. Well, we'll Because on the local level, you know, on the local lo le level, you can only do so much well, but when, wait a when you don't have laws. But let's talk about that's a good point. And you don't have, you know, enforcement. But that's a good point. Look at, so after Newtown, that devastating... Uh, mass murder of six and seven year olds in, in Newtown, Connecticut. They changed and implemented statewide uh, laws against, you know, buying weapons, automatic weapons, all of that stuff, you know, strict gun laws. What happened after Connecticut instituted that those laws? 40% reduction in deaths associated with, with yeah, these weapons. I believe that. And so, in Japan, in Japan, they don't have a single death related. You know, if you look at at, at last year's statistics, right, zero. They have zero. And in UK, less than twenty. Less than twenty. Okay, so you they know. have the same amount of mental illness in Connecticut, UK, and Japan as they do anywhere else. But because they have smart, reasonable gun laws. But when you have the politicians and you have the president of the United States preoccupied with passing laws banning Muslims from coming to this country, vilifying immigrants, wants, wants to build a wall to protect us because that's what he keeps talking about. And not a single one, and not, not a single statement saying, well, we got to protect ourselves first within from each other from, from each other because of these lands, uh, guns or, or or passing a law to uh, you know right protect the rights of the american citizen not just keep talking protecting the rights of the nra and those who support well you know what i'd like to say to donald them. you know what i'd like to say to donald trump dude you want 20 billion dollars as a down payment to build the wall why don't you use that 20 billion dollars to support you know, basic mental health care for the uh, 
millions of Americans who are denied health benefits because you want to decimate the Affordable Care Act, because you don't believe in equal access of health care for all Americans. Why don't you invest in the health care system? Why don't you just do, instead of trying to keep people out, why don't you take care of business at home, man? Let's, let's get real. You want $20 billion to build a wall. You want $30 million to have a parade down Pennsylvania Avenue. That's right. A, a, military, a military parade. But you don't, you don't want to give the basic health care infrastructure that we need to take care of our own. You, you believe in these weird ideas that instead of having – uh, food stamps that we should give people food baskets. You have this idea that um, letting people buy weapons will make us safer, that people on the terrorism watch the no-fly list should be able to access guns. I mean, it's such a crazy way of thinking about the world that you're right, Jamal. People have to stand up. People have to make changes. Remember in the old days when people used to think that having a drink and then driving was okay, and then Mothers Against Drunk, drunk Driving came in, they changed the culture. We need the same thing, that having more guns in this country than there are people in this country, that idea, that unfettered use of these weapons of mass destruction needs to be you know, changed along with these cultural shifts that we have. This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Uh, we also welcome our viewers on Facebook, Facebook Live. Hey, and you have we, any questions? And Let we're us getting know. a lot of questions, actually, and, and comments. We have a comment here from Walid who says that he disagrees that accessibility is the problem. He believes that the problem lays with the education system itself. We teach our children what to think as opposed to how to think. What do you think about that? I think Walid makes a very valid point. The, the problem with that, Walid, is that it's not the complete answer because we do have – and I, I was trained as a scientist, so I believe in actually looking at empirical facts and data and studies. And the studies show that when you reduce or restrict accessibility of guns – you impose background checks. You do all the things that we do that reasonable societies do to manage the accessibility of guns. When you do that, the amount of mass murders goes down. The amounts of deaths by automatic weapons goes down. I mean, Waleed, think about it, man. I actually believe in the Second Amendment. I know that may be hard for some of the uh, listeners to uh, actually believe in it. But what I don't believe in is that it gives you unfettered access to any weapon. AR-15s are weapons of mass destruction. These are replicas of guns that we give to people in the military during wartime. Why do we need to have unfettered, unrestricted access to these weapons of mass destruction? They're not needed for hunting. They're not needed for home defense. These for are killing. They are killing machines. Will lead. And so, and that 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 brings us back to the lobby, the NRA, and those corrupt politicians. Really, I, I think mean, you're right. Every time I think about it, I'm really upset, man. It's all you know. And and we'll go back to what uh, Senator Rubio. What did he say? He said, "My, uh, it's too early to talk about this. I, well, they have the answer. They have the answer. No, we have the data. Here's the thing. This is why Senator Rubio, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan are really disgusting human beings. For them to have the audacity to say it's too early to talk about this, we don't know what the answer is. We have common sense solutions that we can implement now either with background checks or restricting the, the, the size of the magazines, not having automatic weapons be such easy to, to buy and access. Just common sense. We're not talking about taking away the Second Amendment. We're talking about common sense things that you can do to really make changes here. They are unable to do it. And my statement to all of them, if not now, when are we going to talk about it? If after the slaughter of all those children in Newtown, when are we going to talk about it? If not after the slaughter of the African-Americans worshiping in their own church, when are we going to talk about it? And now, after what happened in Florida, when are we going to talk? I'll tell you, Jamal. And Las Vegas. And Las Vegas. I'll tell you something. Just in the last 24 hours, I've run into, just at work and different things, four or five different parents who have children 
in schools, in public schools in the Bay Area. And I have to tell you, each one of them just had the fear, anxiety, distressing look on their faces today because they had to drop their children off at school. And now we live in a society that you drop your children off at school. It's not a safe zone. And you don't know if they're going to live. Now, what kind of society is that, Marco Rubio, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell? Donald uh, Trump. Donald Trump. What is that the kind of world you want to live in? I guess it is. I mean, because they don't have the soul, the courage that it takes to really look at the data. I want to talk a little bit uh, about the mental health aspect. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because, again, it is, uh, I don't want to, maybe it's frowned upon to use the word abnormal, uh, but it is very abnormal for us in this country that we have this these kinds of numbers, 17 or what, 18 gun shootings. 18 already 18, this year. 18, and, and we are, February is not over. No, so, that's more so, than so, one so, a week. So imagine... And it's happening with this free in this frequency at schools, and uh, with minors, minors who are uh, mostly either the victims or they are the perpetrators. Right. In this case, he was 19 years of age, and and then everyone says, "Well, yeah, of course, we knew this is a troubled person." Uh, he, everyone kind of expected it, but how how does the mental health aspect play in, play in it and why do we have this many people who are affected by it I'd at say, schools it's it's a great question jamal and I, I i think there's no simple solution to that as i said earlier every society in the world today has mental health problems so if, if it were just a mental health problem you would see these mass shootings in many other countries we just don't see it so it's not just mental health. But if you focus on the men mental health issues, what's interesting is that we live in a society where access to mental health is severely curtailed. You'd like, let's look at UK. Let's look at Canada. Let's look at France. Let's look at the Scandinavian countries. Let's look at Latin American countries. Let's look all over the world except the United States, where you have a universal, basically a universal health care system where people have access to mental health care. We don't have that here. You have troubled children who um, are ignored, who develop these emotional difficulties, who watch and get access to social media, and the combination of the social media, the easy access to guns, and the lack of you know, access to adequate mental health care, that is a toxic, toxic combination. And, you know, we do have this copycat phenomenon, Jamal. Yep, we do. We have a copycat phenomenon. So this guy, Mr. Nicholas Cruz, the, the killer yesterday, the I guess they're calling him the alleged killer, but, you know, from legal purposes, he, he actively talked about this stuff on social media all the time. Everybody that knew him said he was obsessed with guns. Well, do you think this was a cry for help it or was attention? A cry for, I think it was a cry for help. He had a known history of abusing animals, which is another red flag. Um, he, got, he had behavioral problems. This is not rocket science, Jamal. You have all of the classic indicators of a child at risk for doing bad things, Put into that mix social media and the copycat. Put into the mix easy access to a weapon of mass destruction. And it's, as I said, it's a very lethal, toxic mix. And that mix, Jamal, we are the only country in the world that has those three elements mixed into the pile. That's why we have this problem, in my opinion. Again, our thoughts and prayers with the victims and, and their families and I'm sure, you know, I hope we don't have to talk again. We will talk about about, about this topic. We will and talk find, about it. We will talk about it because it's happened three times a week since the beginning of the year. Well, uh, I know, but I said I hope we don't have to talk about it, that this will they'll find a solution to this uh, epidemic, actually. But there are a lot of things in the news. And so we, I want to shift some gear gear and, and actually talk talk about something that is related because it's happening in Washington. You know, Donald Trump campaigned uh, with the slogan of draining the swamp. 
and no, I, I see, think it should be feeding the swamp. I think Jamal. he has been feeding the swamp, and 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 he drained, uh, you know, that campaign because when we talk about the NRA, what I see, their influence has increased. So the swamp, which includes lobby groups like the NRA, like APAC, and others, it's only they're only been. They're only getting stronger. Absolutely. By the day. Absolutely. And and you know, every day you turn uh, to the news, you see something going on in Washington, be it APAC, the NRA, the Russian Russian Gate, Russian because Gate. because that also includes lobbyists. Of course, it does. Uh, you know, brokering these things, and 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 last but not least, you know, one of the New stories uh, I wanted to mention today. Which one? Uh, I wanted to ask if you have met or if you have known any lawyer who out of his own pocket <laughs> paid $130,000 as hush money to a porn star Come on, Jamal. on behalf of his client, but he says his client didn't know about this. Every good lawyer... And there are hundreds of thousands of lawyers are happy to spend their own money to pay porn stars. That's just what lawyers – I mean, I, I, of course, we're mocking and making a joke of Mr. Cohen. Mr. Cohen is Donald Trump's personal attorney. He's been working with Donald Trump for 20 years. Out of the goodness of Mr. Cohen's heart, and you could tell his heart is made of – Gold. He's such a good man. $130,000 worth of gold? Cash money. Mm-hmm. And he had it's, – it's actually so funny and ridiculous. Let's break this down. He said he was not reimbursed for it by the Trump administration or by Donald Trump companies. But hello, he's on the payroll of Donald – he's Donald Trump's personal attorney. Of course he's being paid. Whether by retainer or whatever, he is being paid. So, of course, it's a ridiculous story. There's a very good chance that this was a quid pro quo. There's a very good chance that this could be considered the equivalent of a you know a contribution to the Trump uh, campaign. And there's a very good chance, Jamal, that this was um, illegal. But let me ask you. Is that not draining the swamp when your personal attorney pays a porn star $130,000 to, to well, be quiet? Well, that's, that's the big question because – but it seems to be – I mean this is the ridiculous thing about it is um, they used to call in the past uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, the late President Ronald Reagan as the Teflon president. Because, oh, this guy because, is much more Teflon. Because nothing stuck on him. And even with these stories – it's business as usual. Of course. And the, the business as usual, just to, to add to the swamp, because if your private attorney is paying one, and this is just one that we know of, Jamal, you know, there were 18 women that accused Donald Trump of some sort of sexual inappropriateness, sexual misconduct, and they've all been dismissed. So we don't know what Mr. Cohen, who else he's paid off. But in terms of the swampiness, let's also think that the integrity of this country in the White House, you have over 100 people, Jamal, who can't even get a security clearance. That's right. And if you can't get a security clearance, Jamal— Including his own daughter and her husband. Exactly. His son-in-law and his daughter cannot get security clearances after one year— tells us only one thing and one thing only, that they are at risk of not working in the interests of the United States. Now, for Jared Kushner, it makes sense. This is a guy who has, whose family has been investing in illegal colonial settlements for years, who's a personal friend of Benjamin Netanyahu, who has, looks like he's going to get indicted, who has massive amounts of debt and I mean, this is not a guy who clearly has acted in the best interest of the United States. He acts in the best interest of himself. Of course, the FBI is not going to give him a security clearance. Yet he's allowed and has access to the most sensitive, uh, top secret information in the entire world. So how is that draining the swamp? I, I think it's, it's 
expanding the swamp. If you have 100 people in the executive branch, Jamal, who after one year could not get a security clearance, that's very scary because it means that if you don't have a you can't get a security clearance it means you're at risk and you can't be trusted and it looks like oh the other person that doesn't have a security clearance is the white house uh uh lawyer Don McGahn he can't even get a security clearance Jared Kushner Michael Flynn all these people who couldn't get security clearances it to me it seems like the swamp has gotten if it's possible has gotten much bigger. It's it's reaching from Washington to New York to the settlements, to illegal colonial settlements. I mean, it's kind of disturbing when you think about it. It is. I mean, you know, that's why I wanted to bring it back to Washington because we started uh, with this topic. Right. Uh, you know, the sad news of the gun shooting. But I have other sad news, Jamal. Okay. So, you know, I just got back from a trip to the Gulf. And I, without going into the gory details, the one thing that struck me more than anything else in speaking with people in the region, and I'm talking only about the Gulf. So this is like, you know, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, you know, UAE, things like that. Mm -hmm. The elite of that area, they love Donald Trump. They love Donald Trump. And I'm just... And we talked about this before, yeah. but, but you actually went and saw and heard and talked to people. Talked to people. So it's not hearsay because no. we used to talk about this before because of some of the statements. No, they like Donald Trump. They love Donald Trump. Why? I think there's a couple of reasons. Politically, they, you know, there's this whole thing that we've been talking about on Arab Talk for a long time is this axis of power where the Gulf states are trying to exercise their political and economic control over Iran. So you have that, you know, Iran, Gulf kind of uh, struggle going on right now. And the fact that Donald Trump has aligned himself against Iran and with the Israelis, with the apartheid regime, um, has actually created these strange bedfellows. So they like Trump because he is very much anti-Iran and wants to basically, you know, neuter Iran in terms of political power as well as economic power. So that's number one. And number two, I think they 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 see and perceive Donald Trump as kind of in the role of a monarch. They they see him, they they have that kind of attitude. He's tough, he's strong, you know, and they they see him as kind of a a, a, a in the despot. A despot, but a and, and the spirit of like controlling – I mean he's not perceived as working in the context of a democracy and none of these places in the Middle East unfortunately are really democracies. They're monarchies. Mm -hmm. So they kind of like the idea that he shuns democracy and works more from a you know, despotic monarchy point of view of like whatever I want you know, is the law. So there's, there's kind of that involved with it. It's, really disturbing to me. So maybe we're turning like the Gulf states right here in the United States. Well, I have to tell... Under, under Trump. Well, and, and I, I was very disturbed by it. I, I, I understand that, uh, you know, certain things you have to be very careful about, you know, what people uh, speak about and people are very careful what they say and so on and so forth. But people were openly speaking about their like and admiration for Donald Trump. It, it's truly, truly remarkable. Now, having said that, we know that the media in the Middle East, and this is your expertise, especially in the Gulf area, is very tightly controlled. So the way Donald Trump is being, well, let me ask you, the way Donald Trump is being portrayed in the uh, in the government newspapers is very positive, isn't it? Isn't that what you're saying? It is. It's not a mon monolith. It depends. Um, but... The government papers. In the government papers, yes, uh, for sure. Uh, they're not criticizing him uh, in general, also on, on, on TV. But I think there is the connection of, uh, you know, with about Iran, which is, uh, in my opinion, totally un, unfounded. And there is a rapprochement, by the way, with Israel. People don't talk about this, you know. Well, we should talk about and, it. And, uh, you know, building back channels. It's no longer back channels. It's, it's not. face face-to-face. -face, it's open. Face-to-face -face meetings. And then there is the issue 
you know, with the war on Syria now, uh, you know, so and Yemen, and and last but not least, as far as far as the House of Saud and and others, they're looking for protection. Uh, I mean. You know, without the United States, you don't know what's going to happen right inside of Saudi Arabia or the UAE or any of these countries. Well, I think you're right about that. And the and protection they're looking for is from the United States and the Israelis. Let's be real. Because it used to be hush-hush between the Gulf countries and back channel, as you said, back channels with the Israelis. Mm-hmm. They're no longer back channels. They are front and center channels with security, open security cooperation between intelligence services in the Gulf and intelligence services in, in among the Israelis. Mentioning the Israelis, and we have about uh, 15 minutes. Yeah, we should talk about so, that. So uh, the big news, of course, and the ongoing news uh, that we've been following uh, for the past several weeks is the arrest of Ahd Tamimi. And uh, just uh, what's cou- the update? A couple of days ago, she was brought back to court. The media was uh, all the journalists were uh, asked to leave. Well, the, comment the, on the, that, Jamal. The, the courtroom. Well, comment on that. Doesn't that say something that this so-called democracy and is closing off the media? And her court date was postponed till March. You know, another, another, almost another month in detention. Right. However, on the international level, she's been receiving a lot of support. Absolutely. From everywhere, all over the, especially from the European side, from all over the world. This She has become a icon of uh, basically a defender of uh, human rights. Actually, the, recently, the uh, famous uh, artist who painted the uh, Che Guevara, Right, iconic right. poster is painting one of her. He already he's already did that. Right, right, and he made it available to 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 be downloaded for free. So let me ask you, Jamal, the, this uh, so the so called only democracy in the Middle East, right? Mm-hmm. What is the foundation of an open democracy? Is a free press. Why have the Israelis, Jamal, and you, this is an area of your expertise, why have the Israelis denied an open press coverage of Ahed Tamimi well, in her case? I mean, not only her case. It is, it is actually a myth that Israel has an open press. Uh. Okay, it's a myth. It's in many cases, and to be fair, their press is more open than surrounding countries as far as censorship and not right. having a ministry of information and so forth. But on many instances, and this, these, these, there are laws that, uh, uh, that were applied not only to, to the foreign press, but they were applied to Israeli journalists, like, for example, during the bombardment of Gaza, right. the war on, uh, on Lebanon, uh, where Israeli military sen- censorship took precedent. So when you have military censorship, I mean, you're talking about censors going to Haaretz uh, or Idiot Ahronot or Channel 10 News or whatever and telling them that they cannot publish or air a report. Right. Uh, and and uh, I can cite many examples. Right. So, uh, w- you know, so when we talk about a young Palestinian girl, right, who's, bring, uh, who's who has garnered so much international attention, and by the way, they distinguish between civilian court and military court. So, right. So when you are in a, an Israeli military court, you practically have no rights. That's right. So they can do whatever they want to do. So initially, they wanted to set an example. And that's uh, it kind of came back to bite them, you know where. Right. But they wanted to set an example to all young Palestinians. Like, if you do this... This we're bad gonna, thing's going to happen. Bad things. And then they were shocked because of all the attention, all the media, not only by you know international right. media or Arab media, but even their own media making her into an icon. She is an icon. And and they were shocked. So now they are actually, they're confused. 
they really don't know what to do because the genie is out of the bottle and they try to they every time they try to fight it it gets worse with stupid statements like uh, statements by Michael Oren your friend Michael you remember him he oh, was the US uh, the Israeli Amen. ambassador in Washington DC <laughs> saying oh she's an act uh, she's acting uh, you know why she's blonde then she must be a fake Palestinian she's a fake Palestinian all kinds of crazy things this came back to haunt them Big time. So every single attempt they've tried to vilify her, to paint her in a negative way. Has backfired. Has backfired. So the last trial, they said no cameras, no reporters. There's a little bit of footage of her saying hi to her dad, telling her dad to be strong, actually, because wow. uh, some uh, reporters went and amplified the, uh, the sound there. And then they told them to leave because they figured the easiest way to deal with her, let's keep and to hold her because, you know, there is no law for even in any country for a minor slapping a soldier, a policeman, wherever you're going to be let out on bail. Imagine in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. Yeah. They didn't even let her out. And so they don't even have a law until they concoct one. They're concocting one. And then every time she appears in front of a judge, they say, we're going to postpone it for yeah, another month. I, I mean, the Israelis are amazing, Jamal. They they have completely uh, miscalculated how popular, how inspiring Ahed Tamimi has been, not only to Palestinians, but to people of conscience and justice all over the world. And if they think that this is going to be a deterrent, what are young Palestinians doing when they see Ahed Tamimi? They see a hero. And it's not as if it's going to make them less likely to fight injustice. It's going to make them more likely. Yeah, and and I can also talk about draw parallel to not only to Ahed, but also, you know, I want to focus a little bit on their action of trying to silence people. Absolutely. Fight, be it BDS, the boycott movement, or outspoken young girls like Ahed, basically. Well, they've lost a bunch of BDS uh, lawsuits recently. And they've lost they, – so every time they try their, their propaganda campaign, you know, uh, a.k.a. their Hasbara, uh, that's what they refer to it, spending millions of dollars on it. The case of the uh, singer Lord. Yes, backfired. Backfired. Now – they're trying to prevent her from singing in Florida. I mean, this is how desperate <laughs> they're going after an hey, artist. Hey, breaking news, uh, Hasbara, Israeli Hasbaras. You're just making Lord more popular, not More less. popular, <laughs> and they're pouring millions of dollars. Uh, all the money that Haim Saban and Sheldon Adelson and, and their cabal uh, have donated— has backfired. Has backfired. Hey, we can't leave Jamal without talking about Benjamin Netanyahu. Now, I have said and we have talked about the close bond between Donald Trump and Bibi Netanyahu. In fact, I have been fond of saying if you love Donald Trump, you'll love Bibi Netanyahu. If you don't like Trump policies, then chances are you're going to be against Israeli policies, because the, the, it's really two peas of a pod. This week, the Israeli police have recommended that Bibi Netanyahu be indicted on charges of bribery and, uh, oh, obstruction of justice, bribery, and a bunch of other things. And we call Donald Trump the Teflon Don. But I think Bibi Netanyahu is taking a play right out of the Donald Trump playbook, Jamal, because he's doing the same thing. He's basically saying it's fake news. And this investigation into Netanyahu and his wife have been going on for years, and they've done a lot of bad things, a lot of shady things. My favorite part about that story, who was the one person that uh, spilled the beans on Bibi Netanyahu? Can you guess? No, who? Sheldon Edelson. <laughs> His buddy Sheldon His Edelson. His buddy Sheldon Edelson basically uh, sold him down the river and basically gave a lot of damning information to the Israeli police about how he had basically bought off and given Netanyahu And do you know who's going or who is selling Donald Trump down the river? Who? His attorney Cohen. 
because someone actually wrote in the Washington Post, I think, not the New York Times, by him making that statement because initially they were denying that they right. made that payment. Right. And then he... He, you know, he was worried to save his hide, and he said, "No, no, I made the, uh, I, I've made that payment, and nobody told me to do that." But by saying that, he had implicated. That's right, uh, Donald Trump. So I think this is, uh, you know, what's going to happen eventually. But uh, we're getting a lot of comments, uh, and sorry, we can't get. To all of them, I'll Maybe we could some. take we could take a couple right now. We have to run in a minute, but take a few. So we actually, uh, Gassan Balut, he says that uh, they're both uh, two sides of the same coin. Well, so he agrees with you about Netanyahu and Donald Trump. Okay. Well, the other thing that I'm 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 suggesting, you know, Jamal, I made the uh, prediction. You know, we had our 2018 predictions. My prediction is that. Uh, uh, Jared Kushner would be indicted. I think the possibility of my prediction becoming true is getting is increasing every day just because of all of the information that's coming out on Jared Kushner right now, the amount of debt that he has, the amount of shady dealings that the actually he's in more debt now since much more debt now he uh, Donald Trump was elected exactly so. And let's not forget, Jamal, that Donald Trump is where he is today primarily because of advice that he took from his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. There was a big battle in the White House between Steve Bannon and Jared Kushner about what to do with FBI Director James Comey. And it was Jared Kushner who went to Donald Trump and says, you have to get rid of him, which turns out to be the most cataclysmically disastrous decision among many that Donald Trump has made was to fire James Comey at the behest and at the urging of his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who was unable to get a security clearance after one year in the White House. And let's also not forget that this whole Russian ordeal is about money. Not only money, from Jared but Kushner. the United Nations, United Nations, uh, and the settlement right. re- resolution. Right. This is what he was trying to do, and this is before Donald Trump took office. Right. Thank goodness Jared Kushner is responsible for peace in the Middle East. We can sleep all better. We can all sleep better. Thank you all for joining us today on Arab Talk. We always appreciate your comments. Our apologies that we can't get to all of your comments. But if you want to send us comments, send it to Arab Talk at kpo.com. Check out our Twitter feed at Arab Talk. Check out uh, Facebook at Jamal Dejani 2. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. Mm